Happy New Year and welcome to Deep Dive. From the Japan Times, I'm Oscar Boyd. This week, as COVID-19 cases once again surge across the country, Bloomberg senior editor Garod Reedy joins to discuss what does the rapid spread of Omicron mean for Japan? Garod Reedy, welcome back to Deep Dive and a very happy new year to you. Happy new year. Thanks for having me back on again. When you last came on the podcast, all the way back at the beginning of December, just over a month ago now, Japan was experiencing blissfully low coronavirus case counts. Three cases of the Omicron variant had been detected and all were seemingly contained at the border. How has the situation changed since then? Yeah, certainly. It was about a, about a month ago. It was a golden time when uh, coronavirus cases in Tokyo were in the single digits and you could buy large size fries at McDonald's. <laughs> um Different situation, you know, uh, that we're in now, uh, obviously, fairly conclusively, we are at the start of the next wave. It is definitely being propelled by the Omicron variant, which, you know, I think we always knew that it was never going to be uh, stopped at the border, you know, only potentially slowed. We're seeing cases, just as I come in here today, of uh, more than 2,000 in Tokyo, uh, more than 1,700 in Osaka, uh, very high cases in uh, Okinawa uh, and other areas as well. Cases getting up near to likely today to be close to 10,000 across the country. Uh, So we are definitely right back in it. Of course, you know, things are different. The vaccination campaign has obviously happened. It's not like we were a year ago. Mm -hmm. Some areas are starting to, you know, start some restrictions again. Uh, At the same time, as of right now, pretty much countrywide, The serious cases and deaths are thankfully very low, certainly nothing like what we saw a calendar year ago. You said cases are to a large extent being driven by the Omicron variant. Do we know exactly what percentage of cases are currently Omicron? compared with other strains of COVID-19? We, 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 don't, have a, we don't have a full picture of it, but from the, the estimated uh, data that we see in Tokyo, I think as of uh, yesterday, they estimate that 80% of the cases in Tokyo are being driven by, by Omicron. Japan doesn't have fantastic screening the way that, um, that the UK has, but it definitely seems to be that, yeah, uh, Omicron is, is here uh, and it's with us, uh, as we've seen in almost every other country in the world at this stage. Last time you were on, it was right as Omicron had just made itself known. And I think it was unclear at that point what exactly the characteristics of the variant would be. Now that a month has passed, what do we know about Omicron and how it compares to previous variants? Um, there's definitely more that we more that we know now than we knew back then. I think even back then there was suspicions that it was uh, milder, and I'll, I'll come back to that word in just a little bit, um, than, than Delta. It definitely seems that it transmits easier than previous strains of coronavirus. Depending on the study that you read, it seems to be sort of two to four times more transmissible than uh, Delta was, and Delta, of course, itself was more transmissible than alpha, which was more transmissible than the original, uh, you know, the original virus that that came out of Wuhan. In terms of what that means for for people, fortunately, and and it's still early days in terms of you know the Omicron spread here in Japan. At least the early data from Okinawa and the early um, indications from the doctors who are working there seems to suggest that that 
lack of severity is being uh, borne out uh, as of yesterday, which is the latest that I have the data for. There were no patients in Okinawa on a ventilator or an ECMO machine. Mm-hmm. They've had you know, very few deaths in Okinawa, uh, despite the, the staggering number of cases that they've had relative to the population uh, of, the, you know, of the prefecture. Um, in fact, they haven't had a death in Okinawa since sometime in, in mid-November, to the best of my knowledge. So, you know, we do know a little bit uh, more about it at the same time, uh, you know, it's a little bit too early, I think, in Japan for, for people to, to let their guard down and say, uh, well, you know, let, let, let's just get it over with and, and, and transmit it everywhere. There was an article in the Japan Times yesterday that was examining cases in Okinawa and it reported that 90% of the people who were infected with Omicron there were exhibiting no or mild symptoms, which... I think you've got to take as some kind of positive. I think that is the way that you have to interpret it. Yeah, some of the doctors in Okinawa have been saying that it's um, the symptoms of it are more cold-like than previous strains. Uh, fewer people seem to lose their sense of smell and taste, which was obviously a, a telltale sign of COVID previously. Some of the symptoms commonly are very sore throat, runny nose, that kind of thing that you would associate more with a, with a cold or a flu. I do have to just caution, this is just what I said I, I would come back to, that um, when when doctors say mild, they don't necessarily mean that it was just that you had a runny nose. Basically, what a mild case when, when it comes to COVID means is that you didn't have to go to the hospital or you, you, your symptoms were not um, sufficient enough to require you to admit to to be admitted to hospital, you can still be, you know, knocked flat with uh, even with a with a mild case. So okay, so relatively mild R- compared to the worst possible version. Yeah, but yes, yeah. hardly enjoyable to to receive. Exactly, yeah, and and, and it seems to be that um, that Omicron. Uh, the studies seem to indicate that it doesn't travel into the lungs as easily as previous variants did. It mostly replicates in the in the upper respiratory tract. That's one of the reasons they say that that you see the symptoms that I mentioned just there and also one of the reasons that you see fewer people get uh, pneumonia and that obviously tends to be one of the ultimate causes of uh, the most deaths from COVID that, that we've seen. And what do we know of the Omicron variant's ability to cause breakthrough cases in people who have already been vaccinated or received two shots of the vaccine? It definitely seems that it's higher than previous variants. Of course, you know, we should keep in mind the vaccine that people have been given was not designed for the Omicron variant. It was designed for, you know, the original strain. One of the things that made Omicron so concerning, you know, uh, early on, uh, I guess the last time even we were we were recording the podcast, uh, was uh, the mutations that it had that seemed it would it would make it easier to slip through um, the the body's immune system. That definitely seems to be um, to be borne out um, in terms of the the um, Antibodies are less able to deal with Omicron than, previ- than previous variants. At the same time, uh, there are a lot of studies to sh- that suggest that the T-cell immunity, that is the longer-lasting uh, immunity, that's less impacted by Omicron than the antibodies are. So that might be one reason uh, that we're seeing a lot of people get infected, have symptoms. It takes a while for for the T-cells to to kick in. So you become symptomatic, but you don't then progress to becoming a serious case um, or dying from it.
Over the last week or so, we've seen a tenfold increase in daily cases across Japan. It seems like the rate at which new cases are increasing is much faster in this wave than in previous waves. Certainly when you look at the graph, it looks quite alarming. There's this almost 90 degree bend in the curve where <laughs> you know cases go from almost zero to several thousand cases daily. But at the same time, we're hearing reports of less severe symptoms in people who test positive for the Omicron variant. So when we put these two bits of information together, how worried do you think we should be about the rapidity of the spread of the Omicron variant here? I think when it comes to the speed of the spread, one thing that we should bear in mind comparing it to previous waves is that in most of the previous waves, there was already some restrictions in place in terms of what places were open, what events were happening, you know, bars and restaurants serving alcohol, that kind of thing. So in some ways, it's, you know, um, or I have taken some encouragement, shall we say, from the fact that basically everything, you know, in Tokyo, uh, in Osaka right now is is open, uh, is open for business. And you're still seeing, you know, relatively, so far, relatively manageable numbers of cases. Um, now, at the same time, if that can continues to increase at the pace that you mentioned, then that is going to be a problem. So, you know, there is things that we we do need we do need to be concerned about. So far we are seeing, you know, fewer people, as I mentioned, fewer people in, in the ICUs, um, and fewer deaths. At the same time they're lagging indicators, so it's a little it's a little too early to tell what the impact is going to be. And also especially when it comes to Tokyo, one of the, the prominent things that we've seen in the data so far is that a lot of the cases are in young people. They're predominantly in people in their twenties and thirties who are less likely to get severely ill anyway, even before we, we had vaccines. So um, there's still a lot that we don't that we don't know. Okay. One idea that I know is being discussed is that even if the proportion of severe cases is relatively lower, if the number of cases as a whole increases by you know double or triple from where it was before, there may still be a higher total number of people who require hospitalisation or be severely ill as a result of catching the Omicron variant. And in both the US and the UK, we're seeing huge caseloads that have already put massive strain on the healthcare systems of those countries. So is there a risk that if cases continue to rise as quickly as they have been over the last couple of weeks in Japan, that Japan's hospital system may also be overwhelmed. Absolutely, yeah. I think that that exact same risk exists here. And the fundamental uh, issues with Japan's uh, health system... They've, they've not they've not been solved now fundamentally most hospitals in Japan are run by private institutions and if they don't want to admit covid patients because it might interfere with their normal business there's not really any way for the government to require them they can they can encourage them to do so but there's not any uh, requirement to do it so that's one of the reasons that you've seen despite you know over the past well two years now right despite Japan having uh, fewer cases and fewer deaths that Japan's medical system has been under so much pressure because it basically it gets pressurized very easily mm. so exactly as you say there is like if even if a significantly smaller number of people do get severely ill from uh, omicron uh, if it transmits that much more quickly throughout the population and especially if it transmits you know more freely into the elderly 
you would still have the same fundamental problem of you know not having enough resources to to treat people. Mm-hmm. So it's really not a time to let our guard down, even if cases appear to be milder. You mentioned a few places where cases are centred at the moment. Tokyo and Osaka both make sense to me because they are large urban centres with everyone densely packed together. But the other place you mentioned is Okinawa, which has higher cases per capita than any of Japan's major cities. Why has Okinawa seen so many cases of Omicron recently? Um, well, there's, there's a couple of things from um, in relation to Okinawa. One thing that we should mention is that they have the lowest vaccination rate uh, of any prefecture uh, in Japan. The other thing that we have to bring up is obviously the presence of the U.S. Uh, military bases there. It definitely doesn't seem to be coincidental that you know the places that you're seeing high caseloads outside of obviously very densely packed places like Tokyo and Osaka are Okinawa and Hiroshima and Yamaguchi, which all either host or or, or very close to uh, US military bases, despite, you know, the screening that was going on at Japan's, uh, let's say, the borders that Japan controls. It turns out the US military were not screening the people who were coming in onto the military bases in, uh, shall we say, a similarly diligent way. So in the US bases, the screening of incoming people is controlled by the US military and not by the Japan border forces. That's right. Yeah, that's right. They did the screening, and apparently they they were not doing it. Um, they were not doing it same day that the people arrived. Um, so there was uh, there was quite a backlog and quite an eruption. We, we you know we initially saw an eruption of cases within the bases long before we saw it in the in the general population, shall we say, in in Okinawa. And what's been the reaction to the spread from the U.S. military bases? As you would expect, there's a lot of politicians in Japan from you know for, for, from from every um, political stripe who are less than happy about the lack of control Japan has over the, the, the US bases. Obviously, we saw that the governor of um, Okinawa, Deni Tamaki, he said he was uh, he was furious about the, the situation. Um, we saw that Japan and the US reached an agreement that would uh, restrict people uh, on the bases you know, from from interacting with the general population, uh, unless it was sort of an emergency. So it's you know it's one of these uh, issues that tends to flare up in U.S. Japan relations. You know, from from time to time, we've never had a case like like this before. But you know, considering the times that we're in, it seems like something like this was was bound to happen at some stage or, or other. One of the consequences of those high levels of community transmission near U.S. military bases is that Okinawa and areas of Yamaguchi and Hiroshima prefectures have been put back under quasi-states of emergency, meaning that restaurants there have been asked to shut early and stop serving alcohol to customers, amongst other measures. Is it inevitable that we'll see these kinds of measures come back in force in other high contagion areas across Japan? I wouldn't say that it's inevitable that there will be a state of emergency. Uh, I do think that the current administration is being more cautious. So the Kishida administration is more cautious towards the virus uh, than the Suga administration uh, was certainly in the beginning. And he has been rewarded for his strict 
you know, controls on the border. We've discussed previously, I think, on this podcast, the limitations that any administration faces in, you know, in having a lockdown uh, or something like that. But obviously, the border controls is something that that Japan can do. And Kishida's poll numbers have seen a pretty consistent uh, bounce with that. And I also noted an NHK poll last night that found that I think it was nearly two thirds approved of the government's uh, coronavirus response, which I think is the first time in a long time you might be seeing figures like that. And I also found it interesting that, you know, more than, uh, I think it was close to 60% of people wanted, they wanted the quasi-state of emergency or the mumbo uh, or whatever you like to call it to be expanded to uh, to other areas uh, mm-hmm. already. I think this is kind of an interesting thing about Japan in contrast to, to Europe, let's say, where uh, what we saw Spain uh, overnight uh, has basically officially said that they want to, they, they want to consider it now uh, as just another disease mm. like the, like the flu something that can that can be controlled whereas Japan is kind of moving a little bit in the opposite direction in that Japan started off if you remember if you cast your mind back to, to May 2020 when the first state of emergency was ended and uh, Abe who was the prime minister at the time declared that we would live with the virus which was one of the earliest sort of declarations of trying to do that mm. um, that I think we saw you know in any major country and as time has gone on you've actually seen people grow more and more cautious especially I think uh, after the the wave that happened uh, sort of one year ago, which is where you really started to see significant numbers of deaths. Have we seen the Japanese public begin to limit their own activities in response to these rising cases, even though only a very small number of areas are officially under any kind of state of emergency? You've seen it actually already in places like Okinawa and Hiroshima. Even before the measures were put in, people were already kind of taking steps to to control um, or, to, or to limit their own sort of interaction. That's a consistent pattern that we see across the pandemic is that there, there, there really is, you know, an obsession here in terms of the daily case numbers in every prefecture. And, and I think this is borne out in the data is that when cases start to hit new records, that's when people start to say, oh, you know, now it's serious. And they start to to regulate uh, their own behavior. Um, to the best of my knowledge, we've not seen that in, in Tokyo yet. Having said that, at the rate of, of increase of cases that we're seeing, we're expecting uh, 2,000 in, in Tokyo today as we record this. I would imagine it wouldn't be too much longer before you start to see that reflect in in people's behaviour. You mentioned earlier on that we're in a very different position going into this wave because so many people have been vaccinated here. Currently, almost 80% of the population has received two vaccines and the booster programme is just about getting underway. In December, Japan launched a proof of vaccination app, which was designed to allow businesses to stay open even in the event of a new state of emergency being announced. Will the existence of that app or the wider spread of proof of vaccination change the countermeasures that we might see if cases continue to increase? It's it's interesting. I, I was really impressed by that app, especially if you've used, you know, the um, the, the the tracking app, uh, Cocoa, right? Mm. Um, which which was really, you know, was not incredibly was not basic. Yeah 
Krell Visic, you know, was not fit for purpose. It had a lot of bugs in it. In contrast, the vaccination passport app is, is you know, it's really well, um, it's really well developed. However, when given the first opportunity to use it in the three prefectures that we mentioned, Okinawa, Yamaguchi, and, and Hiroshima, it was basically skipped over because the rationale was that uh, Omicron was not part of the uh, was not part of the thesis when they were designing the extremely awkwardly named vaccine testing package, which was basically show your vaccine passport or a negative test. I'm going to play worst case scenario now and put out some hypothetical numbers. Say coronavirus cases really pick up in Japan now with the spread of Omicron and we start seeing figures that are more similar to the UK or the US in the hundreds of thousands of cases nationwide per day. Is there a chance that Japan might impose stronger measures this time around, you know, lockdowns like we've seen in other countries? There has been discussion about that before. Uh, that, that that was it was quite widely discussed. I think in August, at kind of the peak of the the previous wave, and then the discussion went away pretty quickly once cases started to to, to collapse, basically in in September and then and then in October. As of right now, it, it's 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 basically impossible. Uh, legally for them to institute any kind of lockdown, even though we've seen in the past that when things get bad, there is a public, um, there is public desire to do more, not mm-hmm. less. I, I think there will be a desire to act early. I don't really know if there's that much more that they can do that wasn't already tried by previous administrations. There was talk about introducing new legislation in this um, in the diet session currently going on. That has been shelved for the time being, so it won't happen in this current diet session. I can't see any reality in which they would try to do significantly more without at least having talked it through during the legislative process. Okay. Has the recent rise in cases prompted any efforts to speed up the rollout of booster shots to make sure people's immunity is high as uh, as this wave expands? Um, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of talk uh, about it. It is it is just getting going, and you know we, we we should bear in mind that you know the majority of people who were vaccinated were vaccinated from from August onwards, mm-hmm. so potentially do not even need a booster yet. Although that that time period is 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 a matter of of some debate. Just in the past couple of days, um, Kishida has announced that they will revive the self defense force run mass vaccination sites, which were in Tokyo and Osaka. There's talk today that they will revive the workplace vaccination sites. So it's really kind of rebuilding almost that infrastructure mm-hmm. that we, you know, that we had over the over the summer. Um, as of right now, I think it's uh, less than 1% of the population ha- has received um, has received a booster. So there definitely is a, a need to, um, to speed up the third shot for the frontline healthcare workers uh, and the elderly, you know, who are going to be the most vulnerable and who also so were obviously uh, vaccinated, you know, some time ago. As part of the booster discussion, there's also a separate discussion around the new medicines from Pfizer and Merck that are being onboarded in Japan at the moment. How important will those medicines be in Japan's strategy for dealing with COVID-19 going forward? Yeah, Japan has always wanted, and even from the the very uh, early stages of the the pandemic here, you remember there was always talk about uh, Avigan and treatments like that, which which proved to be uh, maybe not as effective as as people people would have wanted. Um, Japan's 
authorities have always been big on the idea of a, a treatment that you can take um, and this works very well with just with the way that the, the, the Japanese healthcare system is is so decentralized. I think the ideal, you know, the ideal situation would be that you could get something like uh, like Tamiflu or something like that. That would work really well in the context of um, the Japanese healthcare system. Um, what those treatments that we have, um, you know, that that, that are that are um, going to be coming from from Pfizer and Merck, um, are not that, but uh, they should be another bullet in 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 the arsenal uh, of Japan system. And and I think one of the strengths of Japan system is that it hasn't relied on any one thing. That they have tried to rely on, like a, you know, a combination of things. So, you know, as you mentioned before, even when everyone was vaccinated, everyone didn't go out into the street and 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 you know, throw off their masks and burn them in a bonfire or whatever. You know, people stayed relatively cautious. It's not just vaccinations. It's not just boosters. It's it's masks. It's it's ventilation. Uh, and and maybe it's it's treatments as well. You know, it's a combination of things that will hopefully get us get us past this. I want to come back to a question about the nature of the Omicron variant. We've got these two bits of information so far that this variant seems to be both more infectious, but also may cause less severe symptoms in many people. And one of the ideas that's come out of this is that this strain, Omicron, might be the beginning of the end of the pandemic, that at this point it's evolved to something that's that's more similar to seasonal illnesses that we're used to. What do you make of this theory? Do you think this could be the beginning of the end of the pandemic? Well, I'm 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 super reluctant to you know to to to, to be prophesizing. Personally speaking, I would say that we should probably stop thinking about the idea that there's going to be an end to the pandemic. Uh, this is going to be something that's you know that's that's with us in in some form uh, for a long time, potentially forever. I think the idea of saying this is the thing that's going to get us past it is one of the reasons that people, you know, ultimately grow so grow, grow so tired and so mentally weary of having to deal with this um, every day. So who knows, you know, we could be sitting and talking in three months about, I'm afraid my Greek isn't very good, I don't know what the next um, letter in the alphabet after Omicron is. There's, there's always the possibility. I think we've already seen how uh, mutatable this virus is. I would just say that it's just, you know, we should think about it like this is this is a long this is a long term fight and there's not going to be any one thing that 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 ends it. Great, thank you very much. Thank you. On Tuesday this week, Prime Minister Kishida said that due to the surge in coronavirus cases in Japan, the country will extend its border controls that bar the entry of foreign nationals who do not yet hold residency until the end of February. Kishida also said that the government plans to accelerate the booster shot drive to the elderly and the general public by setting up mass vaccination facilities run by the SDF. My guest today was Gerard Reedy, a senior editor at Bloomberg's Tokyo Bureau. My thanks to him as always for joining us. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you've had a lovely start to 2022 and that you managed to take some time off over the holiday period. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do take a moment to rate or review Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Until next week, as always, Podskare Summer.